I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Be sure to listen all the way to the end of this week's show for a special offer from CollegiateExposureCamps.com. Thanks for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and thank you to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com, for helping keep us going. This week, we have a conversation with Tarek Merchant, and we are going to be focusing on college recruiting and the whole crazy process of figuring out which school is the right school, making sure that your player has the right skills, that they are going through the proper process in order to get noticed by coaches. And Tarek is going to share some tips and some suggestions and really get down and dirty about what it means to go through college recruiting uh, these days. And, you know, we all know how challenging it is. You guys have followed my saga, the ones that have been around a while. So this is not necessarily a new topic, but Tarek brings a unique perspective. And it's interesting, Tarek's background is that he came to tennis maybe a little later than most juniors. He was a multi, multi-sport athlete in Canada and fell in love with tennis a little bit later, but really developed his skills pretty quickly. I, I would maintain because he was a multi-sport athlete, a good all-around athlete, and, you know, was able to pick up the subtleties of tennis pretty easily. And he did wind up playing college tennis, but didn't make the best, college choice the first go and wound up transferring and he'll talk a little bit more about that but I like Tarek's story because he went the route that I suspect most of our juniors are going to wind up going which is he played college tennis and then upon graduating had to go out and earn a living and so he'll talk a little bit about that with us as well. So without any further delay, let me get Tarek on the line, and we'll jump right in here. Tarek, thanks so much for being with us today, and I'm really excited to talk to you about your company, I'm Recruitable, and about your collegiate exposure camps. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Fantastic. So I mentioned that you were a multi-sport athlete as a young child and came to tennis a little bit later. Do you want to talk about first what your experience was in junior tennis, especially growing up in Canada? And I always like to give my guests an opportunity to share a little bit about their own tennis parents, since our community here at Parenting Aces is geared toward tennis parents. Um, I think it's always nice to hear stories from players who have gone through it and how their parents impacted their experience. Definitely. Okay. So I started playing tennis at the age of eight, and all I did with tennis was it was a once-a-week thing on a Sunday afternoon with me and my two older sisters. My father was born in India, and uh, at that time it was ruled by the British, and tennis was a big sport. And he was one of 14 children, which is a huge family, and he's the youngest, and he did not have the opportunity to take his tennis or any sport. In fact, he was a very good cricket player as well, but to the next level. And so when he immigrated to Canada in the late 60s, you know, his dream was giving his kids the opportunity, the typical immigrant family's dream. 
And uh, through that, you know, he wanted us to play sports, and tennis was a huge passion of his, so he thought he would put us in tennis. But growing up in Canada, ice hockey was was sort of the first thing that you're going to get accustomed to. And so I started skating um, very young when I just started walking, and I earned my first skating badge when I was three. And then tennis, yeah, soon uh, living in a small town in Canada, out in between Toronto and Montreal, there wasn't there was one indoor facility that was further away from my family's house, but we were able to go there on a Sunday and spend an hour and, and play some tennis. And from there I started enjoying it, but it wasn't a big sport at the time and it's difficult in my area. So uh, later on throughout my years, as I became 12 13 years old or so, I had, there was an outdoor club close to home and me and my friends would go out there and play. And that's when I sort of started falling really in love with tennis and it was mainly because of the coaches that were there and some of my friends that were involved in it. Not that I wasn't playing tennis at a pretty good level before that. I was selected for a developmental under 12 program uh, that Tennis Canada had put on, but it was still early stages and I only played a few tournaments. My parents were, my mom was all about education and as I got older, it was always focus on school and tennis and sports come second. And she was always scared, especially with sports like hockey and baseball and stuff. There's a lot of injuries. I wasn't the biggest kid on the team, not even close, the smallest guy usually. And so that was always difficult for my mom and for my dad. He loved sports and he wanted, he saw a talent in me and I had great hand-eye coordination from a young age, great agility, great speed. So he wanted to keep me there, but at the same time, he was still all about school, and that always came first. So I had an interesting sort of setup. My sisters, one of them was into sports, the other one not so much, but we played, and we were active kids, and we didn't watch a lot of TV. But, you know, uh, my parents were kind of hands-off, and um, they supported me. They loved to come and watch me, but they weren't ever angry if I lost a match. They were never upset at me if I chose to do something else. They sort of let us do what we want. They guided us, and they gave us all the morals and ethics and skills that we needed to be successful, but they allowed us to do what we wanted to do. And um, in the end, it was, it was no pressure from them, which allowed me to, to do what I loved, which was sports. And that's why I think I became successful at it. That's interesting. I, you know, I hear that story a lot and um, actually just had that exact conversation with one of my own children, not my tennis playing child, but another one of my children. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think if I had it to do over again, I, I would take a very different tact. <laughs> so. Well, you know, and I think oh, well. in some ways my parents would too. Maybe my dad would be a little bit more hands-on, but then they didn't know everything that they needed to do, and life was tough, just trying to sort of earn a living and stuff. So, but, uh, but yeah, I think everybody makes some mistakes, but uh, for me, I've just felt like my parents were very, very supportive all the time, no matter what I wanted to do, and education was always their priority, and even though I didn't always see it that way, they just made sure that whatever I did, I was happy at, and if tennis was what I wanted to do or baseball or soccer or whatever it was, they were going to support me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well done to your parents. 
So you eventually got to the point where you were good enough to have the goal of playing in college. And maybe you can talk a little bit about your college recruiting process and, I mean, the details that you remember and um, what worked and what you wish you had done a bit differently. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, with the tennis it was different uh, at my time, and it's different now. Uh, it changes uh, frequently, all sports do. But, I, yeah, I realized I, I got pretty good pretty quickly, and I put in a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong, but uh, I, I did have a little bit of talent. I did have that experience with other sports that helped me along the way. And so when I realized I wanted to go on a tennis scholarship, it was actually from that sort of 12-, 13-year-old age, I, I – when I fell in love with it, I, I always want knew I wanted to take some sport to the next level. And when I realized it was tennis, uh, that's when I decided, okay, you know, I got to learn a little bit more. But there wasn't a lot of resources out there. You know, there's no YouTube, there's no internet at your disposal in, in your in your palm. And I would just talk to friends, I would talk to coaches to see what would happen. But it wasn't until beginning of senior year going into senior year and that's when recruiting basically started was the summer going in that I started to do more with my recruiting process and uh, I started contacting college coaches all over the country not really even knowing where to go or what to do but just based on my own intuition my research some of my dad saying well I like this school why don't you try that my coach is telling me a few schools and uh, we came across a guy that had some experience in it as well, so we picked his brain, and then I went about writing emails. And I was always a very good marketing PR kind of kid. I was, I was grown up in that. My father's an entrepreneur. He was a sales and marketing, you know, he, he became a VP of a sales and marketing textile company in, um, based out of Boston, but traveled the world. So I was, I was, accustomed to sort of being able to approach people and speak to people. And that was one of the skills that I had and, and have today that's an asset to me. And so that wasn't an issue. The issue was more about getting in front of coaches. And uh, once I started to do that, I started to get some replies back and things happened fairly quickly. I was aggressive with the process and um, I started visiting some schools after that. And from visiting some schools, I didn't really get what I wanted, I felt, after visiting them. I wasn't sold on anything. And for some reason, I took a turn and decided, maybe I'll just go to school in Canada. Maybe I won't go to the States. It's not exactly what I was expecting to get. And my tennis was really good, but it was lacking in the last couple of years because I also went to a private school. And so my private school was, was really rigorous with education and my tennis kind of suffered. I also had a, a really bad uh, ankle injury, which really put me out at nationals and some big tournaments going into my senior year. And so I was, I wasn't seen by all the coaches. And so I went can, about it. Can I interrupt you one ahead. second? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I just want to interrupt sure. you one second. So when you say that when you went to visit the schools, you weren't seeing what you wanted, what does that mean specifically? What were you looking for and, you know, what did you find when you were there? I don't think I knew what I was looking for, right? Because what 
17, 18 year old kid really knows what they're looking for. You know, I had this vision though in my mind that it would be this big school with this big time football stadium and you know, I would be just like I watched the guys on TV at the NCAA March Madness. You know, I had that kind of vision and maybe maybe a part of it was because I was international and I didn't know a lot about the American system, but at the same time, you know, that's what everybody envisions. And then when you go there and things are in smaller cities or smaller towns and it's different and the weather's different or the people are different, it was encouraging and discouraging at the same time. And I also got into McGill University, a very good university in Canada. And I had a lot of people pushing me in different directions, telling me, why don't you just stay in Canada? You got into like the best program here. Like you could end up being a sports doctor or something like that. And so I think a lot of it was was determined on that. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Sure. No, no, no problem. And so then, you know, it, it was uh, I, I basically decided I wasn't going to go. And um, it wasn't until June, about a week after I graduated from high school, that I got a phone call from the coach at Western New Mexico University, one of the schools that I had been in contact with, but not a whole lot because it was kind of late. And he basically told me, hey, look, I lost a kid on my team uh, due to a personal issue, and I need a player, and you would be a perfect fit, and I've got a really big scholarship for you. And In fact, at that time, it was uh, pretty much a full ride. I just had to pay for books. That Times have changed now. But I, I got off the phone, and my dad asked me, you know, who was that? And I said, another coach. And he said, I don't understand why you're not taking this opportunity. You had this dream all along okay, things aren't going to be perfect, but why don't you go try it out? And um, I asked my coach, who was very close to me and still is as well, and both of them said the same thing. They said, you know, what are you scared of? Like, you can just go there. If you don't like it, come back. you got a great school that you got accepted to. And then I went, and uh, I, I never looked back. I mean, I had a lot of ups and downs along the way, but that was part of the experience, and overall, I had the time of my life. Awesome. Then you stayed there just part of the time, though. I did. I stayed there for two years, and there was two reasons for that. One is, when, as I mentioned, as I was going through the recruiting process and, um, and I was becoming a senior in high school, you know, I had a major injury. I also had other commitments from – I was at a boarding school, and it was tough. And so I, my tennis dropped a little bit, and – So I went there, and I started at number five, and I quickly became the best player on the team. And my freshman year, I went 21-9, and I believe. I I barely, you know, I didn't lose many matches, and I had a great success, and my game started to come together again as it was prior to that, and uh, it kept evolving. And so part of the reason why I ended up leaving was because I had – sort of taken my game to the next level and I was looking for better competition now and looking to challenge myself because I, I love to challenge myself regardless of, of the fact if I was going to go to the next level of tennis on a pro circuit or not. That wasn't really my goal. My goal was just to keep challenging myself. And secondly, yeah, the, the, the coach in the school, we had some issues. You know, I was having some health issues uh, with the food and the diet and stuff that our coach had us on and I didn't didn't really work out. We had a few, we bumped heads in some of our ideas and ways to approach it. And then even the school, I felt like they didn't have the opportunities for me 
to get the internships that I needed for a career afterwards. And so I wanted to go somewhere where I would have opportunities with, you know, large Fortune 500 companies or places where I could potentially stay and get a, you know, a great um, start to my, to my professional career. And so you went through the process to transfer, and how was that? I, well, I had to do it all over again. And so I was like, oh, man, you know, like, okay, let's see how I'm going to do this. And so it was tough because, first of all, nobody wants to give you a release because, you know, the coach doesn't want to lose a good player, which I was at the time for the team. And at the same time, he did understand where I'm coming from, but, you know, the school wasn't interested in giving me a release either, like the athletic director. And so it was a battle. And by the time I got my release, it was about mid-April. And so I got literally a couple months to find a school. And so I just started emailing a ton of coaches. The good thing that I had going for me was that I had such a phenomenal record my first year and a half uh, that I just, you know, a lot of coaches were interested in me at the Division One level um, at very good schools. And so I, I realized that, okay, I can maybe go somewhere, you know, more desirable. And uh, it took a while still. It wasn't until about beginning of July that I had secured a couple offers that were willing to take me very late. And I went and visited a couple schools, and I chose Jacksonville University in Florida in um, you know, which I figured would be the best opportunity for me. And so talk about what was different about being at Jacksonville, because I think, you know, it's it's so hard for families to really understand what it means to play a Division One sport until their child is in it. And the kids don't get it either. And, you know, so it's it's if you could kind of give some details about what your experience was, I think the more we hear these kinds of stories, hopefully the better prepared we are when it's time for our kids to go through it. Definitely. I mean, there's a million things I would have done differently. And that's one of the reasons why I started helping the athletes because there's, you know, there's certain experiences in life that you have to go through no matter what. And you have to fall down and get yourself back up. And that's part of life. And you can't just, you know, hold people back and, and just make sure they do everything right. But there are certain things fundamentally that you can help them to improve. And so I think division, you know, one is, is one thing. And then it's just college tennis in general and where you're going. So like, the similarities I had with my schools being one of them being division two, one of them being division one was that both of them were competing at high levels, you know, and, and our, our tournament schedule and the types of teams we played were very, very good. The obviously at the division one in Florida, it was even higher at that time because then you're playing the Miamis and all the big schools and the FSUs and Georgia's, et cetera. But um, training was, was very similar because I was both of situations I was in a climate where we could train all year round. Uh, the differences was probably the pressure of playing at a bigger Division I school in a state like Florida where you're always playing a big match and uh, coaches always has somebody behind him like he needs to win. Otherwise, he's going to mm-hmm. lose his job. 
And right. so that was, a, that was a little bit different. And um, I think the education was different depending where you were. Being in New Mexico, I would have to say that Jacksonville is a lot more challenging academically. I'd also say the types of people that I was surrounded by in terms of the professors and the mentors and stuff was more suited for me. And the business degree that I was earning and the entrepreneurship major that I sort of took, marketing and entrepreneurship. So I think those are different. Um, but I think the main thing that would be different is uh, depends on what type of school you're going to. And I don't like to distinguish between Division One, Two, II, and Three too much because I know a lot of Division Three schools that train the way a Division One school does. And I know a lot of Division Twos that do the same and vice versa. Some Division Ones train like a D2 or D3 in terms of less pressure. And I think that's the main the main thing that you have to look at. And that's a hard thing to really determine when you're recruiting. Um, you know, a lot of times, uh, I mean, it's when you're going on a visit to a school, the school is giving you a sales pitch. I mean, they're bringing you in because they're interested in having you join the team. And so they're trying to sell you on their school and their team. And Sometimes the realities are very different from what you get on that unofficial or official visit. Yeah, I think the recruiting process is complex, and I think it's mainly because the people involved in it are doing sales. And you're now a student athlete talking to an adult who's trying to sell you on their school, and most of the time they're going to outsmart you because they've got the experience, they've got age over you and you're vulnerable as a student athlete and you're excited. And so I think it's, it's difficult for student athletes. And that's why I think the parents are such a big help. And that's why I think what you do on your, with your business and your program, your organization is so vital because the parents need to be heavily involved in this aspect, not in the entire process, but in the aspect of understanding that, a player is going to be sold by a coach and they're going to be the, the coach's job is to get them to the university no matter what. And so the player and the parents need to do a lot of homework and research and really figure out what the school is really about. And there's different ways to do that. And one of them is to talk to the kids on the team independently, not just one, but several of them and get as much information as you can out of them going on your visit to try to get as much information, but visits are tough because they're, you know, they're, it's, they're done in a certain way. The coach has everything set up for you. He'll do whatever he needs to do to get you to come to that school if they really want to recruit you. He'll tell the kids to say what they need to say. He'll make sure that you have the ultimate setup. Right, right. So after you finished at Jacksonville, um, you had a couple of jobs first, but eventually – you used your entrepreneurship degree to create I'm Recruitable. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about I'm Recruitable, what the purpose is, and what you're trying to accomplish? Sure. So I started I'm Recruitable to empower student-athletes through sports and to really help student-athletes make their dreams a reality and to help them have an honest, resource and trustworthy network of former student athletes, coaches that can help them navigate it and so that they can have a great experience. Because 
when I look back, I had the best experience. I would go back today, yesterday, tomorrow, all day. I would be in college. I just, I just thought it was the greatest experience of my life. I, everything that I'm doing now is because of what happened to me in college. And that started with, with my first job with the Orlando Magic. I got that job because I was at, at Jacksonville University, artist, um, sorry, Otis Smith, who was the general manager at the time, was a JU alumni basketball player. And um, I got it in through my network. And it was, I had written probably about 4,000, uh, sorry, 400, not 4,000, 400 teams around the United States to try to get a sports job. And it's tough. And that's the one I got because of the connection. And then I, I did other jobs. And so I started also helping some of my my current teammates while I was in university with some of their recruiting because I always noticed there was so many problems. Like everybody, for example, one of my, one of the kids that came in freshman year and I, while I was a senior was from Spain and he just, there was just so much that went wrong in his process. And so I was always there to be his friend and help him out. And I started thinking about the idea of starting a business that entrepreneurship came out of me because I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. Why are there not people able to educate the kids and help them? And why can't the coaches do more? So, you know, I started I'm Recruitable to do that. And I've realized over the last nine years of doing this business that, you know, there's a reason why, you know, coaches cannot always convey the message or get the details out to the kids, especially in college tennis. It's usually a one-man show. And uh, there's a lot of information out there, but people don't have – specific information on where they should go and what they should do. And I think it's important to give them that realistic information and to be brutally honest, even when the truth hurts. Well, I think that's, <laughs> that's a bonus because I think in tennis and, and that's my only sports experience. So I, I can't speak to other sports, but in tennis, I think parents and players are not always told the truth throughout the process. So I think you're right. I think having somebody that they can trust to to hold the mirror up and say, hey, here's your reality. Let's work with what we've got, not with what's, you know, you've created this fantasy in your brain, um, you know, and let's make the best of this. And I, I think that's huge. Self-awareness is most important. That's the one thing that I try to instill into every one of the students that I speak to or come across. It's self-awareness. Understand where you are today, what you need to do to get better. If it's feasible, is it realistic? The only person you can cheat is yourself. So there's no point doing that. you got to put in the work, and you got to try to be realistic, and you got to set goals, and you got to make it happen. And if you're not, then you're just fooling yourself. So with I'm Recruitable, you're helping these kids um, transition from their – college sports experience into the business world or the professional world. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. What we're trying to do is we're trying to help student athletes through the recruiting process to get them geared up. Everything that you're doing in the recruiting process is going to help you in life. It's not only going to help you get to a school, you got to look beyond just at getting to a, to a school because you know, you're taking the next big step in your life and, that step is huge, but you're also gaining the skills and the knowledge and the, um, the characteristics that you need to be successful in college and after college. Right. 
So you have also worked kind of in in tandem with establishing some camps to help high school student athletes have exposure to college coaches. And um, it's, it's a brilliant kind of business model because now you've got these kids that you're helping through recruiting, but you're also helping get them exposed on the court as well. Can you explain to us how your collegiate exposure camps work and what you think kids should expect to get out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, aside from I'm Recruitable, which is our recruiting services, we have collegiate exposure camps, which runs as a separate product. And that entire camp structure is very unique. It's one of a kind. What we do is we exclusively hire college coaches to work and be part of this camp. They are all there to help the student athletes make an easy transition from junior to college tennis. These are all coaches at all different levels of the game, all different divisions around the country that come to a major campus. Our two camps this year will be held at University of Pennsylvania and Yale University, uh, two great Ivy League schools that have phenomenal tennis facilities and Part of why we choose the location is is the number of tennis courts we have and then the location and the facilities to allow everybody to have the best opportunity to get the real college experience. So one part of it that we've been talking about was explaining it to people, right? So, and I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, when I went down for my visits, it was like I thought one thing and really it was another thing, right? And so... That happens all the time. You know, what we're envisioning in our mind, what we're hearing, is not always what it is in reality. So I wanted to give kids a, a chance to touch and feel. I wanted them to have an opportunity to really work on court with college coaches doing college-style drills in the same intensity and in the exact same drills that they do with their college teams. I also wanted to give them the opportunity to live there. So it's, a, it's an overnight camp if you want to, and it's an opportunity for you to play matches, so you get UTR-rated matches, you get training with college coaches, and then you get college coaches' interaction and presentations. So they t- teach you what it's going to take and what you need to do to be successful in college. And so I think that is the missing element that's been going on for a very long time is we all talk about it, we can share our stories, but let's let the kids actually live a day in the life of a college student-athlete. Awesome. And so how does that work with the NCAA contact rules? Uh, Well, exposure camps allow you to, coaches and athletes, um, depending on the ages that we have set out. So we've set out that anybody from grade 8 through 12, like entering those grades since our camps are in the summer, are able to attend. And as long as you're within those guidelines, college coaches are able to talk to you and build relationships with you and network with you um, as much as they want you want during that time at the camp. And that is unique to any other type of showcase that goes on or any other type of tournament or event that happens. And so that is one of the unique uh, sort of characteristics, attributes, or features that you get from the camp. Awesome. And how long do the camps last? The camps last typically three days or five days. So we have a three-day version and a five-day version, depending where you're going. And so you'll be spending two nights, three days, or 
uh, four nights and five days. Awesome. So to be fair, um, I mean, I, I love the whole aspect of exposing these kids and having them touch and feel the experience, but they're not taking classes and writing papers and taking tests during this camp experience. And that's a facet of being a high-level student athlete that I think really catches most of these kids off guard. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's only so much we can do, right, at the camps. We're going to give them the college tennis experience, but the student-athlete part of the academics is crucial. What we're doing in our camps, for example, to sort of compensate that that, – that missing element is that we are having in-class discussions with the players and college coaches are, I wouldn't say making presentations, but they're talking about real experiences and stories and what it takes and what you need to do and um, how to manage your time and what it's like for their athletes. And they'll give real life examples. And I think that that's the best thing we can do is try to educate them and motivate them and explain to them you know, firsthand college coaches that are there presenting in front of you what it's going to really be like and going through a daily schedule and making them at least understand a little bit more what it's like. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you said before that when these kids go on these official visits to the schools that they're really at a disadvantage because there's the coach who's experienced at this, who's trying to sell them and, you know, the student-athlete doesn't really maybe recognize that they're being pitched. Um, and so how do you get the coaches to avoid being in sales mode at your camps? Because, I mean, obviously, if they see a kid that, that looks like they would be a great recruit, I would think it would be very tempting for the coach to, to put the pitch on and, you know, try and talk to students <laughs> into coming to their program. So are there some kind of ground rules around that, or how do you work that aspect of it? Yeah, no, great question. So we hand-select our coaches, and coach, it's not so easy for a college coach just to, to be hired to work our camp. First of all, they're hired to work the camp, so it is a – a paid opportunity for the college coaches. And um, it's also a recruiting opportunity by default for them. So we have guidelines of, of what we want the coaches to do. And so they've, they've been acclimated to our model. And our model is for, first and foremost is to give the kids the experience that they need and giving them the, the, the on-court college tennis experience and environment. And secondly, it's about helping those kids. And thirdly, then it's about your your mission of recruiting. And um, generally that mission of recruiting will happen at times when we're not doing stuff as a group or where, you know, the the coaches are not allowed to go out there and just start talking to a player. I mean, everyone has a job there to do. We're trying to set up a structured camp and it, it doesn't get in the way. So, um, and, and, you know, that's part, and if the coach really does that and it's their first time, I mean, they won't be invited back next year. It's as simple as that. I mean, uh, so the coaches are are doing what they need to do, and um, when there's a time to sell the kid or talk to a kid. I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Be sure to listen all the way to the end of this week's show for a special offer 
from collegiateexposurecamps.com. Thanks for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and thank you to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com, for helping keep us going. This week, we have a conversation with Tarek Merchant, and we are going to be focusing on college recruiting and the whole crazy process of figuring out which school is the right school, making sure that your player has the right skills, that they are going through the proper process in order to get noticed by coaches. And Tarek is going to share some tips and some suggestions and really get down and dirty about what it means to go through college recruiting uh, these days. And, you know, we all know how challenging it is. You guys have followed my saga, the ones that have been around a while. So this is not necessarily a new topic, but Tarek brings a unique perspective. And it's interesting, Tarek's background is that he came to tennis maybe a little later than most juniors. He was a multi, multi-sport athlete in Canada and fell in love with tennis a little bit later, but really developed his skills pretty quickly I I would maintain because he was a multi-sport athlete, a good all-around athlete, and, you know, was able to pick up the subtleties of tennis pretty easily. And he did wind up playing college tennis, but didn't make the best college choice the first go and wound up transferring. And he'll talk a little bit more about that. But I like Tarek's story because he went the route that I suspect most of our juniors are going to wind up going, which is he played college tennis and then upon graduating had to go out and earn a living. And so he'll talk a little bit about that with us as well. So without any further delay, let me get Tarek on the line and we'll jump right in here. Tarek, thanks so much for being with us today. And I'm really excited to talk to you about your company, I'm Recruitable, and about your collegiate exposure camps. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Fantastic. So I mentioned that you were a multi-sport athlete as a young child and came to tennis a little bit later. Do you want to talk about first what your experience was in junior tennis, especially growing up in Canada? And I always like to give my guests an opportunity to share a little bit about their own tennis parents, since our community here at Parenting Aces is geared toward tennis parents. Um, I think it's always nice to hear stories from players who have gone through it and how their parents impacted their experience. Definitely. Okay. So I started playing tennis at the age of eight, and all I did with tennis was it was a once-a-week thing on a Sunday afternoon with me and my two older sisters. My father was born in India, and uh, at that time it was ruled by the British, and tennis was a big sport. And he was one of 14 children, which is a huge family, and he's the youngest, and he did not have the opportunity to take his tennis or any sport. In fact, he was a very good cricket player as well, but to the next level. And so when he immigrated to Canada in the late 60s, you know, his dream was giving his kids the opportunity, the typical immigrant family's dream. And uh, through that, you know, he wanted us to play sports, and tennis was a huge passion of his, so he thought he would put us in tennis. But growing up in Canada, ice hockey was was sort of the first thing that you're going to get accustomed to. And so I started skating 
and very young when I just started walking and I earned my first skating badge when I was three. And then tennis, yeah, soon uh, living in a small town in Canada out in between Toronto and Montreal, there wasn't, there was one indoor facility that was further away from my family's house, but we were able to go there on a Sunday and spend an hour and, and play some tennis. And from there I started enjoying it, but it wasn't a big sport at the time and it's difficult in my area. So uh, later on throughout my years, as I became 12 years old or so, I had, there was an outdoor club close to home and me and my friends would go out there and play. And that's when I sort of started falling really in love with tennis. And it was mainly because of the coaches that were there and some of my friends that were involved in it. Not that I wasn't playing tennis at a pretty good level before that. I was selected for a developmental under-12 program uh, that Tennis Canada had put on, but it was still early stages and I only played a few tournaments. My parents were... My mom was all about education. And as I got older, it was always focus on school and tennis and sports come second. And she was always scared, especially with sports like hockey and baseball and stuff. There's a lot of injuries. I wasn't the biggest kid on the team, not even close, the smallest guy usually. And so that was always difficult for my mom. And for my dad, he loved sports and he wanted, he saw a talent in me and I had great hand-eye coordination from a young age, great agility, great speed. So he wanted to keep me there, but at the same time, he was still all about school, and that always came first. So I had an interesting sort of setup. My sisters, one of them was into sports, the other one not so much, but we played, and we were active kids, and we didn't watch a lot of TV. But, you know, uh, my parents were kind of hands-off, and um, they supported me. They loved to come and watch me, but they weren't ever angry if I lost a match. They were never upset at me if I chose to do something else. They sort of let us do what we want. They guided us and they gave us all the morals and ethics and skills that we needed to be successful, but they allowed us to do what we wanted to do. And um, in the end, it was, it was no pressure from them, which allowed me to, to do what I loved, which was sports. And that's why I think I became successful at it. That's interesting. I, you know, I hear that story a lot and um, actually just had that exact conversation with one of my own children, not my tennis playing child, but another one of my children. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think if I had it to do over again, I, I would take a very different tact. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you know, and I think oh, well. in some ways my parents would too. Maybe my dad would be a little bit more hands-on, but then they didn't know everything that they needed to do, and life was tough, just trying to sort of earn a living and stuff. So, But, uh, but yeah, I think everybody makes some mistakes, but uh, for me, I've just felt like my parents were very, very supportive all the time, no matter what I wanted to do, and education was always their priority, and even though I didn't always see it that way, they just made sure that whatever I did, I was happy at, and if tennis was what I wanted to do or baseball or soccer or whatever it was, they were going to support me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well done to your parents. So you eventually got to the point where you were good enough to have the goal of playing in college. And maybe you can talk a little bit about your college recruiting process. 
and I mean the details that you remember and um, what worked and what you wish you had done a bit differently. Sure. Yeah. So you know, with the tennis, it was different uh, at my time, and it's different now. Uh, it changes uh, frequently. All sports do. But I, yeah, I realized I, I got pretty good pretty quickly, and. I put in a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong, but uh, I, I did have a little bit of talent. And I did have that experience with other sports that helped me along the way. And so when I realized I wanted to go on a tennis scholarship, it was actually from that sort of 12, 13-year-old age. I, I, when I fell in love with it, I, I always knew I wanted to take some sport to the next level. And when I realized it was tennis, uh, that's when I decided, okay, you know, I got to learn a little bit more. But there wasn't a lot of resources out there. You know, there's no YouTube, there's no internet at your disposal in, in your in your palm. And I would just talk to friends, I would talk to coaches to see what would happen. But it wasn't until beginning of senior year, going into senior year, and that's when recruiting basically started. Was the summer going in that I started to do more with my recruiting process. And uh, I started contacting college coaches all over the country, not really even knowing where to go or what to do, but just based on my own intuition, my research, some of my dad saying, well, I like this school. Why don't you try that? And my coach is telling me a few schools. And uh, we came across a guy that had some experience in it as well. So we picked his brain and then I went about writing emails and I was always, a very good marketing PR kind of kid. I was, I was grown up in that. My father's an entrepreneur. He was a sales and marketing, you know, he, he became a VP of a sales and marketing textile company in, um, based out of Boston, but traveled the world. So I was, I was accustomed to sort of being able to approach people and speak to people. And that was one of the skills that I had and, and have today. That's an asset to me. And so that wasn't an issue. The issue was more about getting in front of coaches. And uh, once I started to do that, I started to get some replies back, and things happened fairly quickly. I was aggressive with the process, and um, I started visiting some schools after that. And from visiting some schools, I didn't really get what I wanted, I felt, after visiting them. I wasn't sold on anything, and for some reason, I took a turn and decided, maybe I'll just go to school in Canada. Maybe I won't go to the States. It's not exactly what I was expecting to get. And my tennis was really good, but it was lacking in the last couple of years because I also went to a private school. And so my private school was, was really rigorous with education and my tennis kind of suffered. I also had a, a really bad uh, ankle injury, which really put me out in nationals and some big tournaments going into my senior year. And so I was, I wasn't seen by all the coaches. And so I went can, about it. Can I interrupt you sorry, one second? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I just want to interrupt sure. you one second. So when you say that when you went to visit the schools, you weren't seeing what you wanted, what does that mean specifically? What were you looking for? And, you know, what did you find when you were there? I don't think I knew what I was looking for, right? Because what 17, 18-year-old kid really knows what they're looking for, you know? I had this vision, though, in my mind that it would be this big school with this big-time football stadium and, 
you know, I would be just like I watched the guys on TV at the NCAA March Madness. You know, I had that kind of vision. And maybe, maybe a part of it was because I was international and I didn't know a lot about the American system. But at the same time, you know, that's what everybody envisions. And then when you go there and things are in smaller cities or smaller towns and it's different and the weather's different or the people are different, it was encouraging and discouraging at the same time. And I also got into McGill University, a very good university in Canada. And I had a lot of people pushing me in different directions, telling me, why don't you just stay in Canada? You got into like the best program here. Like you could end up being a sports doctor or something like that. And so I think a lot of it was, was determined on that. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt you. Sure. No, no, no problem. And so then, you know, it it was, uh, I I basically decided I wasn't going to go. And um, it wasn't until June, about a week after I graduated from high school, that I got a phone call from the coach at Western New Mexico University, one of the schools that I had been in contact with, but not a whole lot because it was kind of late. And he basically told me, hey, look, I lost a kid on my team. Uh, due to a personal issue, and I need a player, and you would be a perfect fit, and I've got a really big scholarship for you. And In fact, at that time, it was uh, pretty much a full ride. I just had to pay for books. That Times have changed now. But I, I got off the phone, and my dad asked me, you know, who, who was that? And I said, another coach. And he said, I don't understand why you're not taking this opportunity. You had this dream all along. Okay, things aren't going to be perfect, but why don't you go try it out? And um, I asked my coach, who was very close to me and still is as well. And both of them said the same thing. They said, you know, what are you scared of? Like, you can just go there. If you don't like it, come back. You got a great school that you got accepted to. And then I went and uh, I, I never looked back. I mean, I had a lot of ups and downs along the way, but that was part of the experience. And overall, I had the time of my life. Awesome. Then you stayed there just part of the time, though. I did. I stayed there for two years, and there was two reasons for that. One is, when, as I mentioned, as I was going through the recruiting process and, um, and I was becoming a senior in high school, you know, I had a major injury. I also had other commitments from – I was at a boarding school, and it was tough. And so I, my tennis dropped a little bit. And so I went there, and I started at number five, and I quickly became the best player on the team. And I, my freshman year, I went 21 and nine, I believe. I, I barely, you know, I didn't lose many matches and I had a great success and my game started to come together again as it was prior to that. And uh, it kept evolving. And so part of the reason why I ended up leaving was because I had sort of taken my game to the next level and I was looking for better competition now and looking to challenge myself because I, I love to challenge myself regardless of of the fact if I was going to go to the next level of tennis on the pro circuit or not, that wasn't really my goal. My goal was just to keep challenging myself. And secondly, yeah, the, the, the coach in the school, we had some issues, you know, I was having some health issues uh, with the food and the diet and stuff that our coach had us on. And I didn't, didn't really work out. We had a few, we bumped heads in some of our ideas and ways to approach it. And then even the school, I felt like, they didn't have the opportunities for me to get the internships that I needed for a career afterwards. And so I wanted to go somewhere where I would have opportunities with, you know, large Fortune 500 companies or places where I could potentially stay and get a, 
you know, a great um, start to my, to my professional career. And so you went through the process to transfer, and how was that? I, well, I had to do it all over again. And so I was like, oh, man, you know, like, okay, let's see how I'm going to do this. And so it was tough because, first of all, nobody wants to give you a release because, you know, the coach doesn't want to lose a good player, which I was at the time for the team. And at the same time, he did understand where I'm coming from, but, you know, the school wasn't interested in giving me a release either, like the athletic director. And so it was a battle. And by the time I got my release, it was about mid-April. And so I got literally a couple months to find a school. And so I just started emailing a ton of coaches. The good thing that I had going for me was that I had such a phenomenal record my first year and a half uh, that I just, you know, a lot of coaches were interested in me at the Division One level um, at very good schools. And so I, I realized that, okay, I can maybe go somewhere, you know, more desirable. And uh, it took a while still. It wasn't until about beginning of July that I had secured a couple offers that were willing to take me very late. And I went and visited a couple schools, and I chose Jacksonville University in Florida in um you know, which I figured would be the best opportunity for me. And so talk about what was different about being at Jacksonville, because I think, you know, it's it's so hard for families to really understand what it means to play a Division One sport until their child is in it. And the kids don't get it either. And, you know, so it's it's if you could kind of give some details about what your experience was, I think the more we hear these kinds of stories, hopefully the better prepared we are when it's time for our kids to go through it. Definitely. I mean, there's a million things I would have done differently. And that's one of the reasons why I started helping the athletes because there's, you know, there's certain experiences in life that you have to go through no matter what. And you have to fall down and get yourself back up. And that's part of life. And you can't just, you know, hold people back and, and just make sure they do everything right. But there are certain things fundamentally that you can help them to improve. And so I think division, you know, one is, is one thing. And then it's just college tennis in general and where you're going. So like, the similarities I had with my schools being one of them being division two, one of them being division one was that both of them were competing at high levels, you know, and, and our, our tournament schedule and the types of teams we played were very, very good. The obviously at the division one in Florida, it was even higher at that time because then you're playing the Miamis and all the big schools and the FSUs and Georgia's, et cetera. But um, training was, was very similar because I was both of situations I was in a climate where we could train all year round. Uh, the differences was probably the pressure of playing at a bigger Division I school in a state like Florida where you're always playing a big match and uh, coaches always has somebody behind him like he needs to win. Otherwise, he's going to mm-hmm. lose his job. And right. so that was, a, that was a little bit different. And um, I think the education was different depending where you were. Being in New Mexico, I would have to say that Jacksonville was a lot more challenging academically. 
I'd also say the types of people that I was surrounded by in terms of the professors and the mentors and stuff was more suited for me and the business degree that I was earning and the entrepreneurship major that I sort of took, marketing and entrepreneurship. So I think those are different. Um, but I think the main thing that would be different is it depends on what type of school you're going to. And I don't like to distinguish between Division One, Two, II, and Three too much because I know a lot of Division Three schools that train the way a Division One school does. And I know a lot of Division Twos that do the same and vice versa. Some Division Ones train like a D2 or D3 in terms of less pressure. And I think that's the main, the main thing that you have to look at. And that's a hard thing to really determine when you're recruiting. Um, you know, a lot of times, uh, I mean, it's when you're going on a visit to a school, the school is giving you a sales pitch. I mean, they're bringing you in because they're interested in having you join the team. And so they're trying to sell you on their school and their team. And sometimes the realities are very different from what you get on that unofficial or official visit. Yeah, I think the recruiting process is complex. And I think it's mainly because the people involved in it are doing sales. And you're now a student athlete talking to an adult who's trying to sell you on their school. And most of the time, they're going to outsmart you because they've got the experience, they've got age over you, and you're vulnerable as a student athlete, and you're excited. And so I think it's, it's difficult for student athletes. And that's why I think the parents are such a big help. And that's why I think what you do on your, with your business and your program and your organization is so vital because the parents need to be heavily involved in this aspect, not in the entire process, but in the aspect of understanding that a player is going to be sold by a coach and they're going to be, the, the coach's job is to get them to the university no matter what. And so the player and the parents need to do a lot of homework and research and really figure out what the school is really about. And there's different ways to do that. And one of them is to talk to the kids on the team independently, not just one, but several of them, and get as much information as you can out of them going on your visit to try to get as much information. But visits are tough because they're you know, they're, it's, they're done in a certain way. The coach has everything set up for you. He'll do whatever he needs to do to get you to come to that school if they really want to recruit you. He'll tell the kids to say what they need to say. He'll make sure that you have the ultimate setup. Right, right. So after you finished at Jacksonville, um, you had a couple of jobs first, but eventually you used your entrepreneurship degree to create I'm Recruitable. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about I'm Recruitable, what the purpose is, and what you're trying to accomplish? Sure. So I started I'm Recruitable to empower student-athletes through sports and to really help student-athletes make their dreams a reality and to help them have an honest resource and trustworthy network of former student-athletes, coaches that can help them navigate it and so that they can have a great experience. Because when I look back, I had the best experience. I would go back today, yesterday, tomorrow, all day. I would be in college. 
I just, I just thought it was the greatest experience of my life. I, everything that I'm doing now is because of what happened to me in college. And that started with, with my first job with the Orlando Magic. I got that job because I was at, at Jacksonville University. Artist, um, sorry, Otis Smith, who was the general manager at the time, was a JU alumni basketball player. And um, I got it in through my network. And it was, I had written probably about 4,000, uh, sorry, 400, not 4,000, 400 teams around the United States to try to get a sports job, and it's tough. And that's the one I got because of the connection. And then I, I did other jobs. And so I started also helping some of my, my current teammates while I was in university with some of their recruiting because I always noticed there were so many problems. Like everybody, for example, one of, my, one of the kids that came in freshman year and I, while I was a senior was from Spain. And he just, there was just so much that went wrong in his process. And so I was always there to be his friend and help him out. And I started thinking about the idea of starting a business. That entrepreneurship came out of me because I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. Why are there not people able to educate the kids and help them? And why can't the coaches do more? So, you know, I started I'm Recruitable to do that, and I've realized over the last nine years of doing this business that, you know, there's a reason why, you know, coaches cannot always convey the message or get the details out to the kids, especially in college tennis. It's usually a one-man show, and uh, there's a lot of information out there, but people don't have specific information on where they should go and what they should do. And I think it's important to give them that realistic information and to be brutally honest, even when the truth hurts. Well, I think that's <laughs> that's a bonus because I think in tennis, and, and that's my only sports experience, so I, I can't speak to other sports, but in tennis, I think parents and players are not always told the truth throughout the process. So... I think you're right. I think having somebody that they can trust to to hold the mirror up and say, hey, here's your reality. Let's work with what we've got, not with what's, you know, you've created this fantasy in your brain, um, you know, and let's make the best of this. And I, I think that's huge. Self-awareness is most important. That's the one thing that I try to instill into every one of the students that I speak to or come across is self-awareness. Understand where you are today, what you need to do to get better. If it's feasible, is it realistic? The only person you can cheat is yourself. So there's no point doing that. You got to put in the work and you got to try to be realistic and you got to set goals and you got to make it happen. And if you're not, then you're just fooling yourself. So with I'm Recruitable, you're helping these kids um, transition from their college sports experience into the business world or the professional world. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. What we're trying to do is we're trying to help student athletes through the recruiting process to get them geared up. Everything that you're doing in the recruiting process is going to help you in life. It's not only going to help you get to a school, you got to look beyond just at getting to a, to a school because you know, you're taking the next big step in your life and that step is huge, but you're also gaining the skills and the knowledge and the um, the characteristics that you need to be successful in college and after college. Right. So you have also worked kind of in 
in tandem with establishing some camps to help high school student athletes have exposure to college coaches. And um, it's, it's a brilliant kind of business model because now you've got these kids that you're helping through recruiting, but you're also helping get them exposed on the court as well. Can you explain to us how your collegiate exposure camps work and what you think kids should expect to get out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, aside from I'm Recruitable, which is our recruiting services, we have collegiate exposure camps, which runs as a separate product. And that entire camp structure is very unique. It's one of a kind. What we do is we exclusively hire college coaches to work and be part of this camp. They are all there to help the student-athletes make an easy transition from junior to college tennis. These are all coaches at all different levels of the game, all different divisions around the country that come to a major campus. Our two camps this year will be held at University of Pennsylvania and Yale University, uh, two great Ivy League schools that have phenomenal tennis facilities and Part of why we choose the location is is the number of tennis courts we have and then the location and the facilities to allow everybody to have the best opportunity to get the real college experience. So one part of it that we've been talking about was explaining it to people, right? So, and I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, when I went down for my visits, it was like I thought one thing and really it was another thing, right? And so... That happens all the time. You know, what we're envisioning in our mind, what we're hearing, is not always what it is in reality. So I wanted to give kids a, a chance to touch and feel. I wanted them to have an opportunity to really work on court with college coaches doing college-style drills in the same intensity and in the exact same drills that they do with their college teams. I also wanted to give them the opportunity to live there. So it's an it's a overnight camp if you want to, and it's an opportunity for you to play matches, so you get UTR-rated matches, you get training with college coaches, and then you get college coaches' interaction and presentations. So they t- teach you what it's going to take and what you need to do to be successful in college. And so I think that is the missing element that's been going on for a very long time is we all talk about it, we can share our stories, but let's let the kids actually live a day in the life of a college student-athlete. Awesome. And so how does that work with the NCAA contact rules? Uh, Well, exposure camps allow you to, coaches and athletes, um, depending on the ages that we have set out. So we've set out that anybody from grade 8 through 12, like entering those grades since our camps are in the summer, are able to attend. And as long as you're within those guidelines, college coaches are able to talk to you and build relationships with you and network with you um, as much as they want you want during that time at the camp. And that is unique to any other type of showcase that goes on or any other type of tournament or event that happens. And so that is one of the unique uh, sort of characteristics, attributes, or features that you get from the camp. Awesome. And how long do the camps last? The camps last typically three days or five days. So we have a three-day version and a five-day version, depending where you're going. And so you'll be spending two nights, three days, or uh, four nights, five days. 
Awesome. So to be fair, um, I mean, I, I love the whole aspect of exposing these kids and having them touch and feel the experience, but they're not taking classes and writing papers and taking tests during this camp experience. And that's a facet of being a high-level student athlete that I think really catches most of these kids off guard. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's only so much we can do, right, at the camps. We're going to give them the college tennis experience, but the student-athlete part of the academics is crucial. What we're doing in our camps, for example, to sort of compensate that that, – that missing element is that we are having in-class discussions with the players and college coaches are, I wouldn't say making presentations, but they're talking about real experiences and stories and what it takes and what you need to do and um, how to manage your time and what it's like for their athletes. And they'll give real life examples. And I think that that's the best thing we can do is try to educate them and motivate them and explain to them you know, firsthand college coaches that are there presenting in front of you what it's going to really be like and going through a daily schedule and making them at least understand a little bit more what it's like. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you said before that when these kids go on these official visits to the schools that they're really at a disadvantage because there's the coach who's experienced at this, who's trying to sell them and, you know, the student athlete doesn't really maybe recognize that they're being pitched. Um, and so how do you get the coaches to avoid being in sales mode at your camps? Because, I mean, obviously, if they see a kid that, that looks like they would be a great recruit, I would think it would be very tempting for the coach to, to put the pitch on and, you know, try and talk to students into coming to their program. So are there some kind of ground rules around that, or how do you work that aspect of it? Yeah, no, great question. So we hand-select our coaches, and coach, it's not so easy for a college coach just to, to be hired to work our camp. First of all, they're hired to work the camp, so it is a – a paid opportunity for the college coaches. And um, it's also a recruiting opportunity by default for them. So we have guidelines of, of what we want the coaches to do. And so they've, they've been acclimated to our model. And our model is for, first and foremost is to give the kids the experience that they need and giving them the, the, the on-court college tennis experience and environment. And secondly, it's about helping those kids. And thirdly, then it's about your your mission of recruiting. And um, generally that mission of recruiting will happen at times when we're not doing stuff as a group or where, you know, the, the coaches are not allowed to go out there and just start talking to a player. I mean, everyone has a job there to do. We're trying to set up a structured camp and it, it doesn't get in the way. So, um, and, and, you know, that's part, and if the coach really does that and it's their first time, I mean, they won't be invited back next year. It's as simple as that. I mean, uh, so the coaches are are doing what they need to do, and um, when there's a time to sell the kid or talk to a kid individually about their school, they'll do that. There are times to do that away from, from the daily camp. Got it. And, again, this all fits within NCAA guidelines for contact? Yes, yes. 
So we work, okay. you know, with the NCAA as well and the compliance and the camps that are being run are, you know, compliant to the NCAA rules. Got it. It's so confusing, you know. NCAA, they change the contact rules periodically, and unless you visit their website on a regular basis, you have no way of knowing what's going on. Um, I, I found that one of the most complicated things once my son got into high school and, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed and who can call whom and, you know, and now with texting, I mean, it's, it's a whole different thing and now the social media contacts. So uh, it's it's nutty out there um, and it, it seems to be getting more and more complicated. But, um, I mean, it's nice to know that, you know, if you send your child to to one of these collegiate exposure camps through Tarek that, you're, you're going to be in full compliance. You don't have to worry. Nobody's doing anything untoward, and, um, you know, you can proceed as planned. So that's that's very comforting, Tarek, I have to say. Absolutely. Yeah, the NCAA is super confusing, but, you know, um, I think it's, it's the addition of social media and all the different channels, and it's difficult to track. And so it, it can be very, very confusing. Absolutely. I can agree with you on that one. Yeah. So you mentioned that you guys are not a college showcase. It's it's something very different from that. Can you compare and contrast what you're doing with some of the showcases? And specifically now, USTA is running its first college showcase this summer, and um, I'm actually working on an article on that. So listeners, check out ParentingAces.com in the next, hopefully, week. I'll have that live. But um, can you talk a little bit about how – what you're doing is similar, but but also different. Or different. Yeah. Well, so my, you know, I'm Recruitable runs a, a successful college showcase, um, a little bit of a hybrid, actually, in, in December every year in between the Eddie Hearn and the Orange Bowl. And so we get a great crowd of college coaches and players that are here for, for those tournaments or other tournaments. It's just a very popular time to be in South Florida. So... The, the difference between camps and showcases is the following. Showcases set up is as follows. You go out and you're playing matches, and college coaches are coming. Usually a, a big number of college coaches come, and they watch the matches. They come to observe. They come to scout. And you go out and you play your matches, whatever format is given, and you get off the court, and if there's if you're – Within the guidelines, depending on when the showcase is taking place, you're able to con- talk to the college coach or the coach is able to talk to you for a minute or two and you're going to make a contact and, and go home. And so I think and know that college showcases are very, very good and they're very, very important to your recruiting process. But that is what you're – and they're predominantly for juniors and seniors – and depending on some sophomores like to come in and get a taste for how it's like. But that's how the showcases will run. And the difference between the camps is, yeah, you're on court with the college coaches and you're getting a camp-like approach where it's more of a conference or a, an, um, an expo that you're going to where you're getting days you know, with coaches, in-class seminars, on-court training, match play. You're doing a little bit more in those things. And um, so I think both are very, very important, but I think they're very different missions at the same time. You know, if you want to learn more about college tennis, if you want to get connected with coaches and, and have more time to develop relationships and 
and, and be in that environment and have that opportunity, then the camps are great. You know, if you're going to come out and you want to showcase your talent to 50, 60, 80 plus college coaches, then a showcase is going to do that for you. So I think that if, if I was to go back or, you know, if, I, if my son or daughter is to play tennis and try to earn a scholarship, I would be sending them to both. Got it. Got it. And you, so you said the showcases are typically juniors and seniors in high school, though, you know, you may get some younger kids. Um, and your camps are for entering eighth graders up to entering seniors, 12th graders. Correct. So a Correct. much wider age range, for sure. Co- Correct. Yeah. What's happening and, with and, the eighth and ninth and 10th graders is that they're, you know, they're, they're getting that opportunity to learn early, to understand what it's going to take to develop those relationships early and to get that experience and exposure um, so that when they're coming towards those years of getting recruited, you know, there's a lot more, they're a little bit more relaxed, they have a game plan, they're able to build that up. I truly believe that kids need to start building their game plan, what they're going to do on and off the court, starting going before they go into, into their freshman year. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I think that for the 11th and 12th, sorry, for the 11th, 12th graders, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're actually in it. Not only are they getting the experience and learning and all that stuff, but they're, they're getting the offers in at that point. Got it. So, I mean, from your perspective, as someone who would be advising potential recruits, I, it sounds like they need to be doing these types of camps starting that summer before freshman year. Yeah, I don't think that there's any reason not to. I mean, if you're going to go out and you're going to spend the time and effort and invest your money into playing tournaments and trying to get a college scholarship, I mean, why wouldn't you just go and do everything that's needed to get there? And why wouldn't you, you know, get understand it a little bit better, like be in front of those coaches? What other opportunity are you going to have to be in front of 15, 20-plus college coaches and talk to them and pick their brain and have an opportunity to have a relationship with them through, as you go through your recruiting process. Because, you know, it still doesn't stop a college coach from, you know, giving you some advice along right. the way. Right. And, or connecting and I, you with the want, schools. Sure. Well, I want to point out, too, because a lot of the colleges offer summer camps, and those are great opportunities as well. But the difference, it seems, between those types of camps and the collegiate exposure camps is at the college camps, you're exposed to one school's coaching, Um, whereas at the camps you're putting on, it's many, many schools are there, many, many coaches are represented. And, uh, you know, so it gives the kids a chance to really compare and contrast coaching styles, um, to learn about the different programs and compare and comp- contrast them and ask their questions in the moment while the information's fresh, which I think is a huge advantage. Absolutely. you got to be, but you have to also be careful between some of these college camps that take place on certain campuses. Not all of them. In fact, the majority of them will not be this same type of exposure camp. They, you know, typically not going to bring in, uh, have a ton of competitive players that are on this mission. 
And um, like you said, it, it's usually just the coaches from the school. And if they do bring in some others, it's a couple others. I think the major difference when you're working with an outside company like ourselves is you're getting a company that does this 24-7, 365 days a year who are going to be helping you and running this program with the college coaches. So not only are you getting exposure and compare and contrast to all these different coaches that we're bringing in from different divisions and levels, but we as a company are giving you information where you can talk to me anytime you want. You can talk to any of my staff and we're going to help you if you need a recruiting question or you're, or to help, you know, with, with a tournament schedule or something like that. Like you're getting an organization behind you and, um, the amount of information, the amount of follow-ups, the amount of interaction that we can do between us, the coaches, and then the players and the parents is totally different than you're going to get anywhere else. That's right. just the reality of it. Yeah, no, it sounds fabulous. So Yeah, and I don't want to oversell at all or even sell a program. <laughs> people can go, you know, because people can go on the website. They can see it themselves. I just want to educate people because there are other events that go on. Like, you know, there are other showcases. There are other exposure camps that do go on that do a fantastic job. And so I'm, I'm not going to say just come to ours. Ours is the best. But I'm going to tell you the difference between, as you mentioned, a, a school doing it and a coach doing it individually who's busy with recruiting and all his other stuff versus a company that does camps for a living. Right. No. And I think that's a, it's an important distinction to make. So I have to ask you, you've been doing this a while. You lived it yourself. What's the biggest stumbling block that you see during recruiting? I mean, what's, what's the mistake that kids make more often than not? They don't develop a game plan from, from the get-go. Players and parents, usually if I ask the questions, and the questions that I'm going to ask them is the following, like, you know, what type of school are you interested in? How much money are your parents willing and able to spend for college? And, you know, what type of tennis program do you want and your aspirations, all that stuff. And so when you ask them some questions and you get some, they just don't have a game plan. Like a game plan needs to be in stone, just like a business plan. You know, if somebody wants to start a business, they can't just tell me their ideas, right? And so, so, so I actually, you know, my, my father's an entrepreneur as well. We invest in businesses and we have other things. So I do, you know, as a portfolio, I'm an entrepreneur and I have real estate portfolios and other things and we invest. And so when we go out and invest, I'm not going to look at somebody who has an idea, even no matter how great it sounds. I need to see a business plan. I need to see something on paper and I need to see how you're going to get there. And I think that's what players and parents fail to do more often than not, because as soon as something hits the road, a roadblock comes like their entire vision is gone. And quite often that vision isn't put to paper. And if it's not put to paper, it's, they can't follow through with it. Mm-hmm. And the roadblocks are going to come. I mean, Absolutely. there are very, You're have to make very few, right. There are very few kids that get through recruiting without some sort of upset along the way. And I, you know, even the top, top kids, um, you know, report 
having issues where they choose the wrong program or, you know, they end up injured and, and things have to take a different turn. And, and I, I, gosh, I, I just think it's so important for, for people to heed your advice about, about having a game plan and, and knowing going in that even if you do have a game plan, you're going to have to be flexible and be willing and able and ready to make adjustments as necessary. And that's where somebody like you really comes in handy, right? Because unless a family has a lot of experience going through college recruiting, you need somebody there to guide you when those bumps show up. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's just the kids are are playing an adult game now. You know, recruiting is a business for the colleges and the coaches, and now you're essentially looking for a job, right? And these people are going to pay you, or even if it's a Division three college and, and you're not getting a scholarship, I mean, you're still expected to perform and that coaches are still looking to get the best candidates they can for their positions, to fill their positions. And I think that you have to take the approach of a professional athlete. I mean, when when we just watched March Madness yesterday, you know, the, the finals in North Carolina, you know, won. But it's when you look at a team like that and you look at any athlete and some of these guys who are going on or girls going on to, to get drafted – you know, they don't get to choose where they're going to go. They have to adjust. They have to go wherever they get drafted, and coaches are going to be picking players based on what they need for their team. So, you know, you may be the best player coming out of the NCAAs, basketball player, but, you know, you may not go the first pick overall because maybe the team that has the first pick in, in the NBA draft needs a defensive guard and you're, you know, a center. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. things are things are different. And so I think the kids um, need to understand that there has to be some sacrifices. They're not going to get everything that they want in the recruiting process. Or they could have the perfect dream school wanting to recruit them, but the coach may just not have an open roster spot. I mean, that, that could be the, the worst-case scenario. But then what do you do? How do you adjust and find a good fit for yourself nevertheless? Yes, and and the expectations, I think, going in um, are sometimes uh, unrealistic. Uh, The family's expectations, the kids' expectations, and as we said before, the realities of being a student athlete are are very challenging. And, you know, I see it with my kid. Um, I see it with, you know, lots of other players that – you know, they get there and the travel schedule, the training demands, the academic demands, um, it, you know, and, and the financial stress. Because uh, let's face it, most of the boys especially are not getting full rides. So, um, you know, it's, it's a lot to manage and it is a job. And a lot of times these kids are 17, 18 going in as freshmen, and they really just don't have the life experience and maturity to manage all of that. And so to have somebody like you, and, you know, I had Sarah Borwell on the podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, she serves a similar role as you um, for athletes out of the U.K., I think it's really nice for these kids to know that they've got somebody in their corner. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a huge advantage for 
anybody in whatever you do to have somebody who has experience and knowledge in the business or the the environment that you're in, right? Because they can they can be a good support role. And I think, you know, if you look at college, uh, sorry, tennis, even pro tennis, like, you know, all these pros who have, you know, Djokovic who had Becker on his team and Lubacic who's with Federer and stuff. I mean, those guys aren't necessarily teaching them new things on how to play the game. They're their person and supporter and mentor and, and advisor who's been there and done that, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's uh, clearly serves a really, really big role. And um, I think it's, it's definitely needed. The kids need an outlet. I actually just got an email before our, our call right now with a kid who's, who's at school, who's looking to transfer. And um, he and I, he always asks me for advice and I'm happy to give him the information he needs because I want him to be successful. After all, we were all in this position. I mean, I was looking for the same, I, I sympathize for everybody because I was looking for the same help. Unfortunately, I didn't have anybody to go to and I managed to figure it out, but um, it wasn't easy and I wish I had somebody and that's why I feel really good about being able to, to give that back, in other words, to, uh, to these kids. Absolutely. So if my listeners want to get more information on I'm Recruitable and your collegiate exposure camps, how do they do that? Um, well, they can visit us on our websites. They can visit us on Facebook where we have a presence and Twitter, and um, they can email me directly as well. And so uh, I don't know if you put some information up after on your online or not, but, uh, you know, I am recruitable is spelled I am and then recruitable and uh, collegiate exposure camps is our other website. So if you go to those, you can find us. And uh, my email is tm at imrecruitable.com or Tarek at collegiate exposure camps.com. So uh, either w- whichever way you want to get a hold of me, it's, uh, I will answer you guys. Fantastic. And so before we started recording, you and I were chatting off air about your coaches and, and the work that they do. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that and, um, and then we'll wrap things up. You mean the college coaches? Yes. Um, at, at the camps and stuff? Well, the, the coaches that work with you, yes. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole, so the coaches that work with me, I mean, I've, I've built relationships, luckily, because I do this, you know, 365 days a year is in the network of all these college coaches. But there's a group of college coaches that are part of our network that come to our collegiate exposure camps and that are willing to give back to the tennis community. And so, you know, their mandate to come to these events is more than just find some potential players. It's about helping student-athletes and making sure that they find that easy transition from junior to college tennis, that we can continue to grow the the game of college tennis because we've had, you know, instances where programs are closing down and, College tennis has lost a little bit of popularity, but there's a great opportunity for everybody, no matter if you're, if we're talking in star levels, one to five star players to play college tennis. And it's just about knowing how to navigate it, where your opportunities are. And these coaches are invested in helping. So they will not only show you how to improve your game on the court and mold your game to, to fit college tennis and teach you the team environment and, 
motivate you in in-class presentations, but they're able to give you a, a helping hand. And um, those are the coaches that we like to work with. And those are the coaches that will be at those events. And I think it's, it's just such a great thing that they do because their time is short. They're one man or one woman shows at the, for the most part. Um, and, and for them to come out and, and really help everybody shows that uh, they really care about college tennis. Fantastic. Well, Tart, thank you so much for joining us and sharing information on your own recruiting history and I'm recruitable in the tennis exposure camps. And yes, I will definitely put the websites up on parentingaces.com so people can find you. And to my listeners, thanks for tuning in. I hope you all have learned something new this week and uh, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time on Parenting Aces. As a bonus to the Parenting Aces community, Collegiate Exposure Camps is offering a $100 discount when you use coupon code PA at checkout. Simply go to collegiateexposurecamps.com, click on Camp Forms at the top of the page, select the tuition option, enter the coupon code, then click Apply. It's that simple. Thank you to Tarek and his staff for helping to make these camps more accessible to everyone. CollegiateExposureCamps.com I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, visit us online at ParentingAces.com. As always, a huge thank you to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com.